I think the seventh and eighth chapters of Black Skin, White Masks really help make sense of the preceding chapters in a way that any book that's structured uh, with a, a theoretical arc does, right? That you end with some of your more complicated analyses that then clarify the stakes of what had previously been written in the, the prior chapters. In this case, we're really talking about the documentation Fanon has around the zone of non-being, language, and what I'll just call to encompass both chapter two and chapter five of the book, uh, the, the pathologies and, uh, and complexities of living in an interracial space. So interracial space, language, and the zone of non-being really come to bear on chapter seven. One of the things I think is interesting about chapter seven is the way it is a pivot point, right? Both back towards the preceding chapters and at the same time a pivot towards the future, right? That is what exceeds the book. The way the Black Man in Recognition chapter, chapter seven, informs uh, our looking back at the text is I think especially around this notion of comparison. And I think comparison is a really important way of recasting so many of the, the uh, conceptual uh, descriptions and explorations around the white gaze and the way the white gaze both produces and reproduces anti-black racism as an infrastructure of our world, as a foundation piece, if not the foundation itself. And that's because what I think the notion of comparison does is take what had previously, in the, the case of the fifth chapter, been an exploration of the sort of abstract infrastructure that's lived through the senses, that's lived through the exchange between white and black subjects, or a white subject and a black object. Now with the question of comparison, we get an exploration of the inner life of, of what he calls the black man, right, or black people. The inner life of black people lived in an anti-black world. In that way, I think it's a shift of focus, right away from the white gaze and its work on the black body, and now looking at the black person, right? Personhood, consciousness, and conscience. How that same gaze works on the interior of black life. As I mentioned uh, in, in class, and is worth uh, mentioning here again, this is where Fanon, I think, really uh, works closely along the same, or works very much along the same lines as Du Bois in his articulation of double consciousness. It's just in a different kind of detail and a different kind of descriptive approach. That is, when Du Bois is talking about double consciousness, he's talking about that movement between how one sees oneself and how one is seen by others. On the one hand, that's a point of resistance for Du Bois, as it will be in its own way for Fanon, right? That in the zone of non-being, you do have the capacity for action, the capacity for what we'll see in his later works is a revolutionary action. But there is this other part of how we are seen from the outside, right? How the black person is seen, black body, I should say, is seen from the outside, which is structured by the white gaze and as structured by the white gaze, faded toward an aspiration to whiteness, which is premeditated failure or a wallowing in abjection, 
right? And all the things that come from that. I think Du Bois's very quick gloss on that is always helpful for understanding exactly what that abjection looks like, right? When he describes the various ways that his black classmates and community had reacted to expressions of anti-black racism. But like Du Bois, Fanon is interested in the seventh chapter in the really dispiriting, pessimistic, but utterly crucial work that the white gaze does inside the consciousness or subjectivity of black people. And that difference between black body and black people is really important here. Fanon's insistence on the epidermal character of racism puts racism in the context of embodiment, right? Or embodied presence to one another and how the white gaze works over the epidermal schema of race, right? The difference in skin color and through working uh, and through its work on, on the body, right? As an inert uh, flat object in the world, the white gaze is able to control the, the black body and ascribe to the black body all sorts of conditions of, of abjection and uh, disgust and fear. Now, how that gets turned black to, back to black subjectivity, right? The way it lives also in the inner life of black people, not just the social life of black bodies. I think that's a really important distinction, the inner life of black people rather than the social life of black bodies. That's what this question of recognition and comparison is all about. The question of comparison is Fanon's uh, way of talking about what it means to live in an interracial world controlled by the white gaze and then internalize it. And to understand that one's assessment of one's value and worth and uh, even just the sense of being is completely uh, entwined with the white gaze in terms of one's own inner monologue, right? It ends up it's not an inner monologue, it's an inner dialogue, right? Where the white gaze is talking to black consciousness and black consciousness is trying to negotiate its relationship to the white gaze. Those senses of, of, of self-doubt, but also inferiority as a complex inferiority as a pathology, as something one undergoes and suffers. That sense of the psychological is really important, the way comparison lives in the interior life of black people under colonial rule and uh, colonial domination at the level of ontology, at the very being of the world and our very being in the world, our very being to ourselves is inseparable from this notion of comparison from this structure of anti-blackness. Now, one of the questions that emerges out of that, of course, is the resistance that's in that, that, that reckoning with the internalized white gaze, that uh, revolt against it, that really uh, means so much for Du Bois, also means so much for Fanon. Du Bois is different because he will understand that to be the African in African-Americans. Uh, and we talked about that in class, and it's utterly crucial that the African and African-Americans is this sort of, uh, not sort of, it's this robust, intense voice of resistance and difference that Du Bois believes African-Americans can call on in this sort of struggle against the dominance of the white gaze, you know, what, what, du Bois, what uh, Fanon calls the white gaze. It's a little different for Fanon because part of his rejection of the negritude poets and the negritude movement 
is what he says, you know, in the, the conclusion, which is you can tell me all of these stories about the glorified black past, but that doesn't actually help me liberate myself or become liberated from the colonial power. All that tells me is that I don't come from abject origins. It does not correct the abjection of the world I live in today. So for him, the resistance to the white gaze is less about uh, an ancestral past that can be called up and called upon in order to enact some form of resistance, and instead a self that comes out of the zone of non-being, whose capacity there is to ask a question. So if you say, what is it that resists the white gaze inside or internal to black subjectivity, to black subjects? I would say for Fanon, that's an empty voice in the sense that it doesn't have content, but its power and its fullness lies not in, again, in content, right? It doesn't carry an African past into the present or into the future, but instead is in the interrogative, that it asks questions. The primary question it asks in resistance to the white gaze, or it's a demand that it makes, is what chapter seven is about, recognition. Won't you recognize me as a fellow human being? What the seventh chapter then is about, in large part, in my view, is documenting how that question of won't you recognize me as a human is fraught, not because the white gaze resists that recognition, which of course it does, that's why the white gaze uh, is not just a sense of phallic power for Fanon, but also um, is is uh, uh, self-protective, right? Uh, and it wants to maintain its power, right? So the refusal of recognition is of course part of the, the resistance that comes even from the question, the refusal to answer, the refusal uh, to answer in the affirmative, refusal to recognize. But Fanon sees it as more fraught than that. And the fraught character of that demand or that question, will you recognize me as a human, lies in the fact that this notion of the human is modeled on white subjectivity. And so it ends up repeating the very problems from the introduction, where Fanon says, you know, the white man is locked in his whiteness, the black man locked in his blackness, and the only fate of the black man is to become white, which of course the black man can never become. I'm using the gendered language because that's a, the language of the book, but we can expand that, hopefully, <laughs> that language, although it may be gendered, that's, that's another question. Uh, inherently gendered. But that fate of the black man to become white is fated to failure, right? It's a, a predestined uh, uh, abjection of black subjectivity. That then if is just reiterated or repeated if one, as a black subject, asks for recognition or demands recognition of their humanity from a white subject, from the white gaze, when the white gaze is the one who possesses the model for what the human is. And so the black subject in demanding recognition of their humanity is asking for the recognition of their white humanity, which is always going to be limited again by the epidermal scheme of race and racism. So this idea that you would somehow reconcile the conflict between the white gaze internalized and the resistance to that white gaze by a black subject, uh, you can't exit it through the question of recognition without questioning the very idea of humanity. And what is our model of humanity? 
in that way, the structure of recognition, and he talks about, about this in terms of Hegel, can't work if it's on this conciliatory model of finding ways of you know, fitting the existing model of humanity as black subjects because it's a white model of humanity. It's a colonial model of humanity. Rather, that demand for recognition has to take a stronger and more violent sense of demand and dialectic. When Fanon talks about Hegel in this seventh chapter, he talks about how in the dialect, Hegel's dialectic, the one who, who initiates conflict, right, the antithesis to the thesis, the antithesis, the one who initiates conflict, has to do so, as he says, by risking their life, right? That's Hegel, and that's Fanon adopts that language. Has to risk life. And what it means to risk life in this case, given what I just said, is to risk the idea that in refusing white notions of humanity, risk the idea that you would even be perceived in your demand as human. But that risk has to happen in order to generate a different sense of humanity, a different model or measure of, hu of the human and of humanism, so that black people can find a place that's fitted to their lives and fitted to their history and memory, and not adopting or assimilating to white models of humanity. So that idea of generating a new sense of the human he lays that out as a programmatic claim in this, in this seventh chapter. By programmatic claim, I mean he's not going to give it content. He's not going to say, here's what a black notion of humanity or humanism is. Let's impose that on the world and demand that it be recognized. He's not saying, here's a race-neutral notion of humanity that surpasses black humanism or white humanism. Let's aspire to that. He never offers an alternative model. On the one hand, someone might say, well, we need actually a solution and a guide and a direction, right? And Fanon doesn't give us that, and maybe that, for some people, is problematic about his thought. I would say, though, that rather than that, what it's important to understand why Fanon won't give that name. And the reason why he won't give that name is because that's something that lies in the future, and something that is generated by the content, uh, by the conflict of dialectics, by negating the white gaze, by negating white humanism, and initiating conflict over that, whether it's cultural war or, or you know, independence war or any kind of senses of conflict we might see working in this case, right? Even at the level of the arts. Um, that, that initiation of conflict is what makes the possibility open up for a new sense of humanism, a new sense of humanity. That is, it's not something you can know or see outside of that struggle, outside of that conflict. And that's exactly why uh, white people in an interracial space that is an anti-black world don't want conflict. They don't want conflict because there's this, this subconscious sense, and they think this is Fanon's position, that in that conflict, whether it's, you know, as I mentioned in class, you know, it's not just demonstrations demanding an end to police violence. It's abolish the police, burn down the police station, and all cops are bastards, right? It's revolutionary. It's radical. It pulls the world up by its roots and plants something new. 
But again, you can't have that outside of the actual activity of conflict, the actual activity of struggle, because conflict and struggle are where new concepts of humanity are forged. If those senses of humanity are only forged in conflict, and as Fanon points out, there is very little of that conflict happening, if any at all. You know, he says there's sort of these percolations in the United States. He alludes to Richard Wright's um, book on uh, 12 million uh, black voices as sort of documentations, confrontational documentations of black suffering and poverty and abjection. He's like, we can see these percolations. We can see these percolations, but they're only percolations. They're not accomplished conflicts. We are not in the midst of conflict, nor are we post-conflict in a dialectical sense of negation. That means that whatever that new sense of the human or humanism is, lies in the future. It lies in the future because it's only generated, again, out of negation and conflict. In the resolution of that negation and conflict. That way that, and this leaps ahead to his book, The Wretched of the Earth, in its opening chapter, which we're not reading for class, but it's important to evoke it here, I think, that that first chapter is about political violence. And that, that targeted conscious political violence that is revolt and revolution against the colonizer, out of that, a new way of being emerges. What that new being is, we can't know because it emerges out of the conflict itself. Armed struggle, cultural conflict, culture war, um, confrontational or negation-oriented arts, all of these ways of thinking about conflict. That puts the new humanism, right, the new idea of humanity, outside the present, in the future. And if it's, out, if it's genuinely in the future, that means we don't know it in the now. So that's not, for me, a concession by Fanon or a shortcoming of Fanon to not have a program set out or a definition or articulation of humanism or this new sense of humanity. Rather, it's his radical honesty methodologically about the only way we will know it is when we engage in this negation and accomplish sort of victory, not sort of, accomplish victory in this struggle against the white gaze and an anti-black infrastructure of the world. Then a new sense of, of the human emerges out of that new sense of the human, we have a whole different sense of what it means to be black and what it means to be white. I think there's a real question, and this came up in some of the conversations after class, is Fanon moving us outside questions of race? Perhaps. Is it just moving us to a place where white and black can have resonances and, and meanings that don't degrade one another, but sort of coexist in a sort of horizontal rather than vertical relation? Perhaps. But I think the fact that we can't know is the whole point because it lies in the future. And when something really lies in the future, we have to understand that the work of re revolution against the white gaze, the work of revolution and resistance against anti-blackness is waiting for, it has to have a patient relationship toward this generation of a new sense of humanity. Now that generation of a new sense of humanity is going to be the site of liberation but liberation is to come, which in the French, avenir is uh, the, the, you know, means both the future and to come, right? This, I mean, it's, 
you know, you just put a space between the letters and so forth. But avenir means to come, right? It's something we can't know because it's in the future. It's to come. It's not in the present in any way we can discern. That also, I think, helped make sense of why the, the eighth chapter, which has so many beautiful statements, it's a series almost of aphorisms, why he keeps insisting, I'm not a slave to the past. We don't seek reparation. We're not trying to repair the past. We're not trying to retrieve the past. Those are dictations by, or sorry, dictums uh, uh, of Fanon's, not because he has some position about the past, but again, because he only sees liberation as generated by the future. And if it's only generated by the future and doesn't lie in the past, then the past right, bears no uh, enduring meaning for us. He does say at a number of points in Black Skin, White Masks that the Negritude movement made you know, black people in the diaspora fall in love with their blackness. That was important at the level of what we would today call like self-esteem and belief in self. But all of that was simply an instrument to prepare black subjects to resist the white gaze and anti-blackness. It was never to be a new foundation. It was never to be new content to what and who black people are. It was rather, again, an instrument or a tool to get us to the point of resistance. And out of that resistance, out of that negation, out of that struggle, emerges the terms of liberation. And the terms of liberation are not simply economic or institutional or recognition of pre-existing uh, norms and morality and ethics. Rather, those norms, morality, and ethics have to be completely generated new. They are too saturated in the present with all the evils and violences of the past. So in order to liberate black people, we have to first destroy the world and then see what emerges in its place.